Welcome to Reliance's Sunday Sermon. Worship with us at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Now, we've got 15 minutes for the Word, but that's okay. But that's okay because we're going to pray too. Amen? And so if, uh, if you are a visitor, we want to say welcome to you guys today. We love having you. Um, we've been in this walk through the book of Acts. And uh, really the whole point of this all summer, this will be week eight uh, of our walk through in the various things that we've been doing. We've been looking at how is it that that first church lived in a supernatural way? Why is it that we read about uh, testimonies and radical evangelism and 3,000 saved and 5,000 saved on these daily things? How is it that the church exploded miracles and healings and signs and wonders? And is God done with that and he's just not gonna do it anymore? Or is there something we need to recalibrate our heart in to get back to the way that God wants the church to function? And we don't believe that God's done with it. We believe he's trying to get the church back to a heart that's recalibrated on the way that he wants to function. Amen? And so in saying that, we've been looking at some of these markers in the first church that made it this supernatural church. And we've everything from always led by the Holy Spirit, family DNA, missional heart, radical focus on the word of God, the name of Jesus, an uncontainable joy within them. Last week then we focused on this idea of they were devoted to prayer. Prayer wasn't a side thing for them. Prayer was it for them. Everything that they did... The precursor to every move of God, the precursor to every revival, the precursor in this idea that feeling signs and wonders, every precursor was rooted in this idea that first and foremost they prayed. All of it. In fact, we even said this word that I'm convinced that Jesus raised people, people from the dead. I'm convinced that he healed. And I'm convinced that Jesus' ability for radical evangelism was birthed out of prayer. How do I know that? Because Jesus says, I do nothing outside of what I see my father doing. And I say nothing outside of what my father downloads to me. So the, the way that Jesus operated was simply that he had relationship in prayer, communication in prayer, and a vision of God in heaven, and then Jesus lived it out. And that same tenant, that same relationship is something that he gives to us. And so I'm saying these things because I want you to hear that the word of God, as we said last time, should always be preached. The word of God is our foundation. It should always be preached. But the word of God should always be partnered with prayer, always. Just like worship is awesome, worship is beautiful, worship is amazing, but worship should always be partnered with prayer. And so, because of that, I want you to hear that... um, Um, We think that it's your heart a lot about this prayer thing that we do because um, we think that it is one of the things that marked the first church as supernatural. Now, I do want to say this. I had a good conversation with a brother the other day, and we were just sharpening one another. And just a revelation came to us as we were talking that, you know, led by the Holy Spirit, radical focus, family, you know, DNA, missional heart, uncontainable joy, devoted to prayer. All of these markers aren't to say this. If you do these things in right order, somehow you're going to become supernatural, all right? If you do these things, somehow you're going to get it. Because what that puts us on a collision course with is to go through and write these things down and just check them off on a daily basis. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And that's not what the Lord's wanting to do. He's not saying mimic the first church 
in the things that they did, and then somehow you become supernatural. He's saying, look at the first church, be imitators of them, but what it's caused from is this thing that's rooted in their heart, which is that they have a love for the Lord, first and foremost. And so today we're going to talk about this last <clears throat> that we're going to have an opportunity to talk about. There's so, we could talk about a hundred things that marked the first church. We haven't even got into the way they served one another. They're, they're, the word, they were obedience. They're, they're obedient, and this obedience was birthed out of love. Obedience birthed out of love. I, I'm going I'm to go back and say what I just said. These things that you see in the first church weren't checklists. These things that you see in the first church were, they were so in love with the Lord that they were walking in obedience with him, that these things just naturally came out of them. Do you see the difference? Don't do these things hoping to get in love with the Lord. Get in love with the Lord and you'll do these things. And this is the difference from what the church, first church carried. So, um, this obedience that was birthed out of the love for Jesus. And uh, I feel like we're always gonna circle back, always circle back to get our hearts centered on our first love. And, and this is scriptural. In the end, in Revelation, there's a section of that that's always to get our hearts circled back to go, all of these things are amazing that Jesus did. Look how the first church operated. All of the letters that were written by all of the apostles. And then John the Revelator comes in and he writes to the church of Ephesus and he says those famous words, go back to your first love and do the things that you did at first. There's always this circle back. Why am I doing the things that I'm, I'm doing? Why am I at church today? Do I pray? Ready. Why do I study the word of God? Why do I pray? Why do I worship? Why do I listen to Caleb? Why do I do the things that I do? And if we have a love affair with the God of the universe, then we're just doing things. Okay, all right, just making sure we're yeah? Okay, all right. Just making sure we're good. And I think that, and I could say these words, and I think that, that, this, is, that this is true. The first church out of an obedience of their love for Jesus. So Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven. They love him. They've seen the resurrected Savior. They're in They've been established in him. They're like, what do we do? Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon. Don't leave Jerusalem until the power of the, or Acts 1-8, until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so he says, wait for that. And had they not waited, they wouldn't experience. So their obedience to wait for the Holy Spirit is what stirred the revival in the first church. Their obedience stirred revival. But it just wasn't blind obedience. It was obedience that was birthed out of love. So here's what I'm saying. If we're trying to stir revival without obedience, which is where I think half of the American church is right now, amen, <laughs> then we're going to be a long ways away from it. But in Acts, revival always, always follows obedience. And when I say revival, I'm just simply saying anytime God moves, that's revival. It always follows obedience. It's a big deal. Obedience in our culture is a big deal. We try to teach our kids to obey. It's a big deal with our kids. It's, it's why when you go to school, you have to learn certain things because you're learning to obey. Did anybody ever like the um, pieces of paper you got where you had to connect the dots and it formed a you know, picture? Anybody like those? I hated those, all right? Look, like, why do you want me to follow the dots? I'm going to draw what I want to draw, right? 
But when you connect the dots and you're like, why am I doing this? I gotta obey, I gotta go one to two. This is stupid, right? Like when you do it, what you see in front of you is that if I follow the dots, there's a beautiful picture. And if I don't follow the dots, what is there? A nightmare. I don't care how you're like, oh, it's abstract. No, it's not, it's stupid, all right? So when you follow the dots and you obey where they go, what you get is a picture. It's the same reality with the Lord. He's putting dots in our path, and as we follow him and walk and act it out in obedience, what we see is this beautiful picture that he has for our life. This is the way that the Lord works with hearts that are in tune with him for obedience. And so the Holy Spirit's leading and our obedience is literally what's getting him and are getting us to the plan that he has for our life. So obedience is a big deal. But obedience isn't something that just comes natural. We have to learn it. I've got a dog who's a hunting dog who's a pain in my behind right now. He's a year and a half old. And I've got a training collar for him. And when that training collar is on him, he'll do anything I want him to do. Anything I want. I don't have to touch the button and I can just snap my fingers. And he's there. Do you know what happens when I take that training collar off? I'm chasing that dog at midnight the other night saying in my mind, like, if there weren't cameras in our neighborhood, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I'm trying to corner him. I've got shorts on, nothing else. I'm like, this is ridiculous. That first thing we talked about, Miller, keeps him in check when we are and i'll go back to that first thing we talked about when we are tethered to the holy spirit there is a collar on us that keeps us in check to walk with the holy spirit to walk with the lord without the holy spirit we're running on our things obedience is learned through the power of the holy spirit in our life so here we go hebrews 5 7 and 8 jesus is our model so we always look back to him and here's what he says While Jesus was on earth, in Hebrews 5, he says, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence of God. His deep love for his father, God heard his prayers. Even though Jesus was God's son, look what he says. Everybody say, he learned. He learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, a man who never sinned. I want you to hear that. Jesus never sinned. But in relationship to that, I want you to hear what he says. He still learned obedience. Jesus still was flesh. He was God and he was man and he had flesh. And that flesh, just like you and I, wanted. he processed it in his life. But Jesus learned obedience to the things that he suffered. He processed it his life. He didn't want the other path. He wanted the path of what God had for him. So he learned obedience. And there's moments in your life where you may be wondering, why is this suffering and persecution on me? And it may be that God is trying to teach you obedience in your life so that you can learn obedience from the things that you're going through. Now, I say that because what we know from Jesus is this. Without obedience... You cannot love, nor can you follow Jesus. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care what any false teaching would tell you that somehow you can follow Jesus and do your own thing. That's just simply not gospel. Without obedience, you cannot love nor follow Jesus. Jesus tells us in John 14, if you love me, if you love me, that if is a contingency word. If you love me, you will what? You will obey. 
If you love me, you will obey me. And so it is contingent upon that obedience in our hearts of going, I love you, therefore I'm going to walk in you. Again, it just comes to say, we're not doing things out of order to obey him. So, this to something, we're doing things out of a love affair and then our heart wants to obey him. So, here's where we're at in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, I'm going to start here, and I'll tell you why. Because right after this, all the rest of Acts is about Paul being on trial because of this. So the Apostle Paul, he's on the scene. He's lighting it up everywhere he goes, and he is both loved and hated. There is people getting saved like crazy, and churches getting established, and people coming into Christ, and the man is absolutely hated and constantly having people breathe murderous threats against him. And in Acts chapter 20... Here's what we pick up in verse 18. Paul says to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia. So here he is on his missionary journey. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You yourselves know how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from, those, and from house to house. So he's talking about in public, house to house, I was teaching you, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, ma- he tells him what his route is. Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is madness that he would say that, by the way. They hate him in Jerusalem. They don't just dislike him, they constrain. Look what he says. And now I am going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Holy Spirit, other translation would say, birthed in my heart by the Holy Spirit, provoked by the Holy Spirit in my heart, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So he's like, I don't have all of the dots yet so that I can see the whole picture, but he's given me a few dots And here's what they are, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. So the Lord has given him his piece of paper with dots to show him there's there's a picture coming. He's given him a few dots, and what he's shown is on those dots is imprisonment and affliction. I don't know what at all is going to happen, but I know this. He's told me wherever I go, I'm going to have imprisonment and affliction come against me. But look what he says in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone out about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Skipping down to verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Listen to what he prayed church. And there was much weeping on the part of all of them. And they embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to a ship. Now I want you to understand, this is what I love about the book of Acts. It was not, and they lived happily ever after. 
The gospel message doesn't end with, in this moment, they lived happily ever after. What we know because of Christ Jesus and because of what he moment, what we know is Paul says, happily ever after in eternity. But in this moment, what we know is Paul says, when I get on this ship, you'll never see me again. And what I do know is coming my way is imprisonment and beatings. Here we go. In fact, he'll go on and he'll stand in Acts chapter 21 and he'll stand before a group of people after he sailed to another place and a prophet by the name of Agabus will come down and he says this, it took off Paul's belt and Agabus bound up his own hands and his own feet and he said, this is what the Holy Spirit has said to me. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the hands of the Gentiles. So the Holy Spirit is reminding Paul once again through another person, you will be bound. You will be imprisoned. And look what it says in verse 12. When we heard this, we and all the people urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Don't listen to what you think you're supposed to do. Don't listen to what the Holy Spirit's telling you. Don't go to Jerusalem. It's not going to be good for you. But here's Paul. He has a radical love for the Lord, which we're going to read about here in a second. And he has a heart of obedience. And because he has a love for the Lord and a heart, what are you doing weeping and bra- be derailed? So Paul tells them in verse 13, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. The Lord be done. From thence he would not be persuaded. We ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. From this moment on, moment on, Paul's in prison and the last essentially seven chapters of the book of Acts are all about his trials and tribulations. And yet in the midst of those trials and tribulations, he's convincing people everywhere he goes about the love of Jesus. It's beautiful. This is why I love the book of Acts. So here we are, we've worked through all these markers and here's, the, here's what it comes back around to. It's our love affair with Jesus and our obedience to do what he tells us to do. Paul headed to Jerusalem, and the Spirit is testifying to him every single time, this is what's coming, imprisonment and afflictions. And when you get there, what he's saying is this, you're, you're going to experience, you're going to experience brutal persecution, and, and I'm, I don't know about you, but if, if the Holy Spirit's downloading that to me, I'm, I'm wrestling in my obedience. Anybody in here wrestling in your obedience with that word? Let's just put it in your own context. Hey, you're going to go on vacation um, there's gonna be bed bugs in all of your hotels, okay? You're gonna run out of gas like every 100 miles. Your car's gonna break down and uh, uh, you're, somebody's gonna steal your wallet. Who wants to go? That's essentially what the Holy Spirit is downloading to Paul. To that is, let's do These things are gonna happen to you. Here we go. And Paul's response to that is, let's do it. And here's why. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, we realize what's compelling his heart, what's driving him, what his sole purpose is. Nothing else matters to me. This is it right here. He says, if it seems we're out of our mind, if we're crazy, and he gets this part where he says, either way, the love of Christ compels us. It drives us. Since we believe, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Paul has realized this in his life. It doesn't matter what my flesh cries out for anymore. It doesn't matter. I've died to it. And he says, 
He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So what's driving his heart is that he doesn't care about the things of his flesh that he once wanted anymore. What he wants to do is live in the new life where he's tasted and he's seen that the Lord is good, where he's seen the power of the Holy Spirit over his life, where God has wrecked his life in a beautiful way and he's walked in these things of the Lord and he's going, I'm never going back. So I I know this, imprisonment, even though I know what lies ahead, I don't know the whole picture, but I know this, imprisonment and beatings, I'm in. And this is how the book of Acts is going to wrap up. And yet despite all of that, what we see along these journeys of persecution and imprisonment is, and that family got saved, and that jailer got saved, and that family got saved, and these people got saved, and that leader got saved. Because of one man's obedience, because of his love affair with the Lord, once again, the whole earth was being turned upside down. How does the love of God manifest itself in you and I's lives today? In the person, in the work of Jesus Christ that we've been justified because of him. We've been adopted into his family. We're called sons and daughters. The condemnation that we earned because of our guilt, the condemnation that you and I deserved because of our guilt, he erased it, he wiped it clean, and now it says that he sees us as holy and blameless despite us and that his love never wavers. I mean, that should compel your heart. Nothing else in the world gives you that, nothing completely rewired love of Jesus that compelled Paul towards obedience had completely rewired his heart he was a different cat he would never be the same again and so when it rewires our heart our obedience then isn't as difficult because we're under the love of God This is what was compelling his obedience. The love of Christ, the love of God compelled Paul to plant churches, to risk his life, to give his life into times of persecution, to give his life into times of beatings, to give his life into times of imprisonment because he says, I found Christ to be enough. He's enough. I read this quote that says, the single greatest thing that you carry in the field with you is not your training. It's not your education, it's not your experience, it's not even your passion. The single greatest thing you carry with you is this intimate love relationship with Jesus. Everything Jesus desires to do through you, he will do out of the overflow of what he's doing in you. Read that. Everything Jesus desires, we want to be a supernatural, he will do out of the overflow of what he's doing in you. We want to be a supernatural church. We want to walk in the ways that Jesus walked, walk in the ways that these men and women walked in Scripture. Then it's got to be something that he's doing in us. Out of our obedience to the fact that we're radically in love with him. I've got lots more to share, but not for today. (laughs) Let Let me share this. The fruit of the obedience that we walk in, the fruit of the obedience that the first church walked in, John tells us in John, 1 John 3, verse 21. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, when she, 
if we don't feel guilty, meaning we know we've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, we can come to God with bold confidence. And look what he says in verse 22, and I'm, I'm a word-for-word guy, meaning if the Word says it, I believe it. And we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we, everybody say obey. Obey Him and do the things that pleases Him. Because they came to understand their identity was that they've been marked by the blood of the Lamb. They're no longer guilty, but they've been set free. And so they boldly approached the throne room of God, not as slaves or servants, but as sons and daughters. And they came to Him in love, and they obeyed His commands. God opens the heavens, and everywhere they went, they walked in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. It's not rocket scientists, but it wages against your flesh. This is a war against your mind. This is a war against what you want. This is a war against the crucified life. This is a war against you going, but it doesn't bode well for what I want. It doesn't connect the dots like I want them to connect. And God's going, uh, just connect them like I want you to connect them and you'll see a beautiful picture. So, I'm gonna ask you today, would you guys stand with me? And I'm going to ask you to make room for the Lord in your life this morning in obedience and love for Him. So, would you close your eyes? Would you extend your hands out? And we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to ask you to pray. Not that you would, that you would come to this love affair that compels you to live a life of obedience. Not that you would try to earn through things of obedience and then love Him. That you would say out of your mouth, I love the Lord. Therefore, he says, if you love me, you will obey me. He's tied them together. I love you, Lord. Therefore, I'm going to obey you. I've been crucified to my own life. Dots are imprisonment. If you tell me that my next dot is persecution, I'm still in and I'm not running because I love you. So I want this obedience, God. So let's pray this prayer. And then I want you to pray. As they sing this song, I want you to pray through this. And when you're ready to sing, you can sing with them. But Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, for a deep-seated love affair with you. Bring us back. Bring us back. Bring us back to our first love. Nothing else matters but our first love. Has to start there. It's scripture. It's what you're constantly trying to get us back to. Great, great, great. Good job, good job, good job. Are you doing it out of routine? Are you coming back to your first love? And so I pray, God, right now, you bring us back to our first love. And then from that, God, the marker of whether or not we're back to that first love is, do I want to walk in obedience to you? Do I want to obey your words? Do I want to obey your commands? And it may be, Father, right now, some of us in this place going, ugh, but what if obedience means tough times? What if obedience means persecution? What if the dots that you put in front of me aren't the plans that I had for me? Take us back to our first love, Lord. Take us back to our first love where you're enough. It doesn't matter what dot one and two and three are. You're enough, Jesus. And I'm going to walk in obedience. So the team's going to sing now. Now you just, with hands extended, it's a sign of surrender. Would you just ask him, take me back to my first love, Jesus. I give you my heart. I give you my obedience. Here we go, church. Thanks for tuning in today. To find out how to get more involved, 
go to reliancecommunity.org. Have a great week.